The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. How's the world? Y'all about broke? Just about broke? You know what credit card does, don't you? The hardest thing to do is to make 10 easy payments. I have discovered that. So don't let your, oh, Dave Ramsey over here is amening me. Good to see all of you tonight. I got some good news for you. This church has a generosity that's second to none, second to none. And uh, we, we just asked some people if they want to give a little extra on Sunday. And uh, that little extra came up to well over $8,000. Right here at Christmas. We have 45 on our wish list. 45 people wanted something to help them during the holidays because they did not have the means. Everybody that's on the wish list is going to be blessed. Everybody. I think that's pretty neat. Come on, give it up. That's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. Amen. And we're going we're to celebrate that because we're so happy that our church has a benevolent heart and has a heart of charity like it does. And that's one of the reasons, folks, that this church continues to be blessed and we can't outrun the blessings of God. It's just an amazing thing what God's doing. And I'm pumped about it. I'm excited about it. And I'm also excited that six days or five days from now, we're going to be eating chicken and dumplings at our house. That's what we're having. Uh, You can call it poor folks food all you want to. It's, a, it's, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread in my world. I get, I get a little tired of turkey at Thanksgiving, and I don't want to ham it up too bad. But I can eat me some chicken and dumplings and, and to wash it down with a little iced tea and some bluebell. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. You know, you know uh, uh, it, it's very hard to stay in the preaching spirit. Because I want to be out there with you and just be relaxed and say, well, I hope he does good tonight because I'm real tired from shopping and stuff like that. I'd like to be where you are, but you know, I'm up here. And so I'm going to take the challenge again tonight and we're going to celebrate again tonight for the last time (laughs) we're celebrating. And uh, we started this celebration thing two weeks ago when we talked about celebrating and becoming like a child, childlike, not childish, but childlike. And we discovered three things about children. Number one, they have no doubt of their self-importance. Number two, they have a quality of spontaneous joy. And number three, they have an absolute, they have absolute no fear about their future. And we we talked about that. So we became like children. We need to be like a child. Jesus said, unless you become like that, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we want to celebrate childlike in our existence in this life. We want to get happy about things we need to get happy about. And we need to get happy about things that don't have to be real big. When you get happy about small things, that's a great, great blessing in your life. When you can smile over things that other people say, what are you laughing about? Well, it's just a joy. It just, it just tickles me to see that happen. That's the joy of a, of a childlike attitude and a childlike faith. Then last week we talked about Jesus being the center of our joy. We talked about the Feast of Tabernacle and the Seventh Feast. And Jesus is our completeness. He is our joy. It's the feast of joy. Jesus is our joy. 
We learn that Jesus is the light of our life because it's also called the Feast of Light. And we also learn that He's our unifier because there's nobody can put you together. Nobody can put you together like Jesus can. Amen. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody. And tonight, we've done children, we've done Jesus, and we're doing future tonight. We're going to celebrate because there's something ahead of us that is so great and so grand and so glorious. Would you stand to your feet? I'm not going to be lengthy because we've got some stuff back there that you don't have to pay for tonight. It's on the house. It's got a little mix in it, but it's also got some homemade stuff in it. And uh, if you don't like Eagle brand milk, you don't like that, just leave it alone. It's going to have some stuff that will make you just jump up and down and say, Hallelujah. Roger, uh, oh, oh, Roger, what's his name? Roger, uh, the old singer, what's his name? No, not Roger Rabbit. Good. Man, I got, I got some people on the front row. If I ever want to be a millionaire, I'm not going to phone these people. They're not, this is not, Roger Miller. This, I'm not going to phone these people up here because they, Roger Rabbit. Jesus. Wow. Roger Miller. All right. John 14. In the New King James Version, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself. That where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Aren't you proud of Jesus in your life? Aren't you proud of that? Before you sit down... Pastor Randy, our music pastor's father, Brother Davenport, is with us all the way up from Michigan. Where are you at, Elder? Where are you at, sir? I want you to give him a great hand of welcome right over there, my friend. Lost his wife back in the summer, and uh, Patty and I went up to be with them, and he is just a noble man and going to be with us a few days, and we're so happy. And if he likes us enough, I'll send the moving van to go get his furniture and get him down here. Turn to somebody and say, let's celebrate tonight. You may be seated. God bless. You're great people. I promise not to be lengthy, so don't get too, too, too comfortable. A few years ago, two authors, Bickle and Jantz, drove more than 10,000 miles across the United States. And all along the way, they interviewed people about the meaning of life. They both felt in their travels... They may have discovered the most emotionally significant piece of real estate in the whole country. It was the few square feet right outside the gate of each airport terminal. On this patch of carpeted flooring, people greeted loved ones who had just flown in. And the excitement built as they searched the crowd looking for that one face they had been missing, especially in days like this at Christmas. Bickle and Jantz write, if you ever want a glimpse of true joy, go hang out at an airport, and you'll see the celebration of a lifetime there. 
And don't be surprised if you hear a comment like, I can't believe you've been gone a whole week. Isn't that sweet? You see, the sense of joy isn't determined by how long you've been apart. It's all about getting back together. With that in mind, a little girl, age five, asked her mom one day, Mom, when you die and go to heaven, every time you hear Gabriel blow his horn, are you going to look to see if it's me coming up there now? Twelve miners died a few years ago in a mining accident in West Virginia. I read the story. And one of the miners who died, Martin Toller, wrote a note in his last hours. He said, tell all, I'll see them on the other side. What I'm about to say and what I'm about to preach tonight is not spoken in many churches anymore. It's really not. But let's talk for the next few minutes about heaven. Let's talk about heaven a little bit tonight. The modern church probably does not address the subject of heaven often enough. In fact, there are probably more jokes about heaven than there are sermons about heaven. Jokes like one grandmother says that when her nine-year-old granddaughter addressed a letter to God at the pearly gates, comma, heaven, it was returned to the house. Someone at the postal service had written across the envelope, nobody at the post office is headed that way today. Sorry. Pretty funny. Peter's very busy in heaven, one preacher said one Sunday. So he leaves a sign by the pearly gates. For service, ring the bell. And away he goes, he barely gets started doing his work when bing, the bell rings. And he goes to the gate and no one's there. He goes back to work and suddenly bing, the bell rings again. He rushes back to the gates, but again, no one's there. A little annoyed, Peter goes back to work. Suddenly, bing, the bell rings again. <laughs> Peter goes back again. There's no one there. Okay, that's it. He said, I'm going to hide and I'm going to watch and see what's going on here at this gate. So St. Peter hides, and a moment later, a little old man walks up and rings the bell. Peter jumps out and yells, Aha, you're the guy who keeps ringing the bell. He said, Yes, that's me, said the little old man. Well, why do you keep ringing the bell and going away, Peter asked. And the man replies, They keep resuscitating me. <laughs> I'm trying to get here. And of course, there's that little poem. I was shocked. Confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, by the light or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood a kid from the seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudge Jesus, what's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes about heaven. But here's an interesting item for you to think about. In the Investor's Business Daily reports a new study from Future Lab, a think tank in London. According to this study, more people are requesting they be buried with their cell phones now than ever before. The trend began in South Africa 
spread to Australia, now it's in Europe and it's headed to the United States. And the article doesn't say whether people are afraid of being buried alive or if somehow they think that they'll be able to make calls from within heaven's gates. Several years back, a magazine published a cover story about heaven. According to their research, 76% of Americans still believe in heaven. Isn't that a great thing? However, among those who believe there is such disagreement over what heaven is like. Like 19% think heaven looks like a garden. 13% say it looks like a city. And 17% say they don't know and they don't care. 75% of Americans believe that their actions on earth determine whether they'll go to heaven or whether they won't make it. Most people think that if they're good enough, they'll get in. It's an interesting study. What do some of us believe about heaven? There's no wrong answer. There's really not, at least none that can, give, can be given with any authority. The pictures are given of heaven in Scripture and in literature are quite obviously symbolic. Streets of gold, pearly gates, walls of jasper. Maybe it's metaphorically speaking. There are attempts to describe the indescribable. And John could not describe the indescribable because, folks, heaven is not something that can be described by mortal tongue. But Jesus said, he called it, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If it just took him six days to make this world, he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what heaven's going to look like one day when you step on the celestial side of this great other world? The human brain is not capable of grasping the idea of the spiritual realm or the even of eternity. They're all beyond our understanding. Isaiah said his thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above ours and we can't describe it. We can't understand it. And all we can do is use simile, analogy, metaphors. Heaven is like that little patch of carpet for people waiting at an airline terminal or reunited with their loved ones. That's what it is. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I'll meet you? Just inside the eastern gate. How many have ever heard somebody say, I'll meet you around the throne? How many have ever heard, I'll meet you at a specific place? We'll go fishing at the river of life. Everybody has got their ideas of heaven. Everybody's got their concepts of heaven. But what I want to tell you is simply this. Jesus will be there. Years ago, I was preaching in a pulpit in another state pastor in another church a long time ago. And I preached about heaven one Sunday morning. I just felt like going away and just talking about heaven a little bit. And so I was preaching about heaven. And I talked about pearls on the gates and gold on the street. And I talked about all the people we think we're going to meet. But I said, the thing that I want to see, the thing that's going to make heaven real to me is Jesus. And I had a little songwriter who was our music pastor at the time, and he started pinning the words And those words became a song, a song that's been sung all over the country, a song that is sung by a lot of people still yet today. It's Jesus I want to see. All the gold you can put there won't make it heaven for me, but it's Jesus, it's Jesus that I want to see. There's another story about a man named Arthur Stace. He was an Australian, and he died a few years back, and he was affectionately known in Australia as Mr. Eternity, Mr. Eternity. Stace was an alcoholic. He was a homeless man who before reaching middle age was converted through a rescue mission and later himself became a street corner preacher and evangelist. And shortly after his conversion, he heard a sermon entitled Echoes of Eternity. 
He was so captivated by the importance of the word eternity, he began to use his free time to spread the one-word message across his hometown of Sydney, Australia. Eternity went ringing through my brain, he once said, and even though I could scarcely write my own name, I felt a divine urge to write this word. So 50 times at least a day for over 30 years, he wrote eternity on the sidewalks of Sydney. And usually in the early morning with white chalk and with faultless script. When he passed away, the Sydney newspaper carried a story of this unusual man who had chalked eternity over half a million times. In fact, it was 540-something thousand times on the street of that metropolis. Maybe Stace was a bit obsessive. Maybe you and I have probably gone the opposite direction. We rarely think about eternity. But there's got to be a happy medium. In previous generations, we've put too much emphasis on what cynics call pie in the sky by and by. And we have erred on the other side not wanting to talk about it. But I want to talk to you right now tonight in the next little while that I'm going to preach about a place that's real. I'm going to preach about a place that we're going to someday. If the Lord said you've got to be childlike and you've got to receive me in your life, he's got something waiting for us on the other side. I believe that with all my heart. I'm not preaching just to waste wind and just to blow breath. I'm preaching because there's a heaven somewhere out there. I believe that. Clap your hands real good. Amen. Praise him. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Father, I want those, Jesus said, you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Hallelujah. I love John 17, Jesus' prayer for the church. Revelation 22, we read, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. There's something up there. There's something out there. The first point I want to preach tonight is simply this. Heaven is real. Everybody say heaven is real. There's a lot of unreal in the world today. There's a lot of fake. There's a lot of stuff that wants to fool you. There's a lot of mirages in the world. But there's one thing that I will rest my faith on. That there is a heaven that is real. It's the first thing we need to see. It's not wishful thinking. It's real. Life does not make sense otherwise. A beautiful woman named Dee Risher once made a beautiful analogy concerning life beyond the grave. He concerned the birth of her first child. you got to hear this story. She writes it this way. The morning my son Luke was born, I held his tiny body and considered the journey he had taken in the last 24 hours. I tried to imagine that change as he experienced the inexorable pressure of muscles pushing him into some strange and completely unknown passage, his body at the mercy of larger forces bearing down on him. Overnight, his body and world would, radically, would be radically altered. He now must breathe air and not water. He has to use his mouth for nourishment, no longer relying on a connection to my body. In his sleep, he flails his hands through the air. Startled not to hit the solid, comforting wall of my body. After living only in warm darkness, he experiences light, coolness, and the touch of other skin on his own. Nothing can prepare him for this new life, which must be quite simply unimaginable. Had there been a companion watching my child's journey from the womb side, he probably would certainly have said this is a process of death and not life. 
only when viewed from this other side do we recognize and name it as birth and not death. The transformation my son has experienced can only be matched by that other great passage in our life, which is our passing, our death. Death must be this same complete unimaginable change of physical state. We see death from this side and it's terrifying. But our faith allows us to claim the promise. What appears to be death is only a portal to a life transformed one moment after we close our eyes here. Amen. Amen. makes sense to me. Life beyond the tomb is no greater mystery than life beyond the womb. It's all a mystery. And surely God's justice as well as his love demands it. In this world, if this world was all there is, then God owes an apology to those who have suffered greatly in this world. But the only thing that makes their suffering bearable is that on the other side there is no suffering. There is no heartache. There's no tears, only eternal peace and eternal joy. I lost a young lady in Dallas, Texas, one of the toughest losses I'd ever had in my young ministry. She was a young lady that contacted cancer, and she was a beautiful girl, and she also was a beautiful singer. She was probably 10 years my senior. I was in my 20s, and she was in her middle 30s. Her brother attends church every now and then here. He comes, and her, her nephew comes all the time. But she was quite a lady, but she contacted this cancer, and we knew that if God didn't undertake, she was going to, she was going to go. And every time I'd go to the hospital as a young 20-something pastor, I would, I would see her, and I would, I would say, God, if you're not going to heal her, help us, help us with somehow to show her that she's not just going to die and go away. And one morning I went in. I went in to see her, and she was sitting up in the bed, and she was smiling. She had a big old cancer on her shoulder. It almost looked like she was two-headed. And she was such in such great spirit. She said, Pastor, would you sit down? I've got a story to tell you. And I said, oh, I'll sit down, Linda. What you got? She said, Pastor, I had a dream last night. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision. I think I dreamed. said, I was at the edge of a river. said, have I told you I can't swim, and I'm afraid of water? And I was at the edge of this river. And said, there was people on the other side, they were wearing white. If this is strange to you, please, just let me, let me, let me just, let me just follow you just for a little while, okay? Let me just, let me just preach something that I feel in my spirit. You can make up your mind later. I've already made my mind up. And she said, there were folks on the other side and say, we're saying, come on, Linda. You can make it. You can make it. Come on. You can make it. You can make it. We all made it. We all crossed over. You're not going to hurt yourself. You're not going to drown. Come on. God's going to be with you. And she said, then, Pastor, I saw two people. I saw your wife and your boy waving their hand at me, saying, come on. We can we can, we can help you on this other side. Come on to where we are. And said, when I saw your family and I saw people that are recognized, I said, I'm going to step in this thing. And pastor, I stepped in the water in my dream and said, I just started floating to the other side. She said, you know what? I probably won't live the rest of the day. But so what? I've seen the other side and everything's going to be all right. I'm going to be okay, pastor.
before two o'clock came that afternoon, she was gone. What a beautiful funeral to do because there's just times when you just need that word from the Lord. And that word came and I understood that there's a hereafter, hereafter. Let me tell you something, heaven is for real. The second thing I want to declare, can you celebrate that? Can you celebrate that? There's a man that wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. The first heaven is the one that you see. That's what we see around us. The second heaven is where the, 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 the wars go between heaven and, and hell. That's the prince and the power of the air dwells there. The third heaven is where we're going to dwell someday. And this man said, I went to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was called up to paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, and that he heareth of me. In other words, he said, lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation there was given to me a thorn in the flesh so what Paul was saying was simply this I got a glimpse of the other side and if a man can write that and come back and tell us that there's something over yonder and a woman can lay on her hospital bed and say I saw the other side I'm going to stand in this pulpit and say one day we're going to step from this mortal to immortality and there's going to be a heaven waiting on us and it's not going to be a fearful thing because God's prepared a place for us and where he's at, we're going to be one day. Can you rejoice and celebrate that? Can you celebrate that? The second thing I want to preach is heaven is a gift. Say it's a gift. Heaven's a gift. Mark Twain said heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you'd stay out and your dog would go in. I love old Samuel Clements. The scriptures are very clear on this. No one has earned the right to dwell with eternity or for eternity with God Almighty. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Say all of us. Heaven does not depend on our merit, but upon God's love and God's grace. Let me preach it. Let me tell you one more time. You can't get good enough to go. You can't get good enough to go. You've got to get a God in your life. You've got to get a God in your life. His, His merit is what's going to take us over, not our merit. God loves us, and because God loves us, God makes it possible for us to enjoy Him forever. There's a book titled, In the Dark Wood, Journeys of Faith and Doubt. And in this book, a man has a dream that he's dead, and he's watching himself. He sees himself go to the foot of a mountain where he's lifted up. And he knows he's going to go to judgment. He's afraid. He imagines a cloud of witnesses awaiting him, and he thinks, this is it. I'm going to be judged by these cloud of witnesses, and they're all going to be there. They're all going to know everything that I've ever done, and they're going to judge me. But when he arrives, there's only one there, and his name is Jesus. Nobody else. Nobody else. Somebody clap to that. Nobody else. Nobody else. I'm not going to heaven because you say I can. I'm going to heaven because he says I can. I'm not going to heaven because you're in the house. I'm going to heaven because he saved me. Somebody help me preach right now. 
This ain't about my goodness. It's about his goodness. Woo, I could almost preach right now. Jesus looks like a stern judge in his dream with a cowl over his head. But there's a light behind him so the man cannot see his face. And all Jesus does is gives him a big old hug. And Jesus said, you silly man, why are you so worried? Did you think I didn't love you? I loved you. I've always told you I love you. Nothing matters. You're going to be all right just as you are because it's my grace that's going to bring you here and not your goodness that's going to put you here. When the man wakes up, nothing bothers him the way it used to be and the dream takes him back to a way he saw God in his childhood talking to the God that he knows as a friend. And he's aware of God's greatness for sure, but he's not afraid of God anymore. See, heaven's not about us, folks. Heaven is about God and what God's done for us. Aren't you glad Jesus came? I woke up this morning knowing I was going to preach this tonight. And I'm reading it a lot because I I don't want to get tied up and and get get out of bounds and preach about 15 minutes on something like chasing a rabbit or something. But I feel this tonight. I want to tell you. I want to tell you this. It matters not what people say about you. It matters what God says about you. Do you know that there's people in my 27 years here that never have liked me in this pulpit? But it don't matter what they think about me. It's what God thinks about me. Because I'm going to reach past them and I'm going to find somebody that needs Jesus worse than anything in this world. And I trust one day they're going to like me. But they don't have to like me to go to heaven. They don't have to like me. It's all right. It's okay. But they need to love the one that I'm preaching about to go to heaven. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's time to celebrate. This thing ain't about us. It's about him. It's about him. He has redeemed us. I must celebrate him. Wow. Heaven is real. Say it's real. Heaven is a gift. Say it's a gift. And heaven emboldens us to live purposeful lives here and now. Wow. There's a secular author named Eugene O'Neill. And I close with this story tonight, Randy, if you'll help me. It's getting hot cocoa time. (laughs) I put the gospel out here tonight. A second author named Eugene O'Neill brought the truth into a sharp focus in a play that he wrote years ago titled, here's here's the title of his play, Lazarus Laughed. You know Lazarus, the John 11 boy that lived in Bethany with Mary and Martha, his sisters. And they sent word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick and, and Jesus just delayed. He didn't go. And finally, they they sent word to him, said, Lazarus is dead. And when he heard that, he said, we need to go because Lazarus is is sick. (laughs) And so they start going. The time they get there, he's been dead four days in in the grave. And and see, the Jews didn't embalm. The Egyptians taught us embalming, but the Jews didn't. And after three days, they knew corruption would set into that body. 
And so they thought, it's too late. It's four days. And so Martha went and ran out and told Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But now, you know, he's gone. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, Jesus don't always, he, he don't talk about yesterday, he don't talk about, he talks about right now. Right now. You believe he's resurrection right now? You believe he's brought some of you a blessing from this church right here tonight? You believe that? He's resurrection right now. He's, he's God right now. He's a God right now. He's a right now God. And he almost said, you know, I've heard enough of your fussing. Would you get Mary? And Mary comes out. She says the same thing, but a different attitude. He said, take me to the grave. Where have you buried him? So they took him to the grave. He said, roll away the stone. They rolled it away. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus came forth, he said, loose him and let him go. And when those grave clothes came off of him, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, is alive. Now, what would you have done? It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good play. What would you have done if you had been dead and put in a grave and it was over and all of a sudden you hear this voice, Lazarus! I recognize that voice. It's been in my house. That's the voice of Jesus. Come out of there, boy. Come on out. And Lazarus comes out. What would you do? Would you say, thanks a lot? No, you'd have probably said, Lazarus laughed. Now, now get this. Get this. See, when Jesus brought him back, stay with me now, he hadn't died on the cross yet. So Lazarus wasn't in a place of rest. He was in a place of where Jesus was going to go resurrect some boys later. He was under Satan's hand. And Jesus had to pay a price to get that hand off so his hand could come in. It's called the keys. But when he died, he he walked into hell, took the keys from the devil, and loosed the prison houses and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. But this was before that time. So Lazarus wasn't in a good place. But when he comes out of that grave, Eugene O'Neill said he laughed. I bet that boy went to Sunday school that wrote that play. And he went back home to Bethany And all of a sudden, things that used to bother him didn't bother him anymore because he knew the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. And he went home and his house became known as the house of laughter because every night they threw a party. They threw a party in Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house and they sang and they danced and they worshiped and they edified And they just got tickled about the fact that I was dead. And now I'm alive. Folks, that's pretty powerful stuff right there. 
And everybody that Lazarus came in contact with <laughs> had to laugh with him. He'd say, guys, let me tell you my story. Here's my story. I, who was dead, and now I'm alive. And my house will be known for the rest of my days as a house of laughter.